quickly before we start the episode, uh, I have just a, quite a few behind-the-scenes things to talk about. For one, you may be wondering why this isn't the incredible world of Horace Ford. I opened up the project to upload it, and I found that half the audio files were missing. If, you know, being completely transparent with you, I could have re-edited it all, but that would have been an extra three hours. I was already a little behind schedule, so I figured I'd take my losses and we'd uh, just move on. What this means for the show, however, is really nothing. Um, you know, it's not like this is any big thing. Horace Ford will be pushed back way down in the future. I don't want to revisit that episode for a while, but we will be revisiting that episode eventually. And uh, the other piece of just kind of behind-the-scenes stuff I wanted to address is a slight shift in our recording schedule. Uh, today, if you buy, you probably already read the title, we are covering A Passage for Trumpet. Next week, or the next episode, I guess, episode 7 will be I Am the Night, Color Me Black. And then episode 8 is going to be uh, Five Characters in Search of an Exit with our special guest, because that'll be the last episode we do this semester. Episode 9 is going to be Long Distance Call, which I think it was originally supposed to be. And then episode 10 is going to be The Jeopardy Room, which is a season 5 episode about a man who is in his hotel room and somebody plants a bomb. Yeah, so there, there's all the back backstage crap I wanted to get out of the way. Anyway, let's get on with the show. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Welcome to the Rod Squad, the internet's freshest Twilight Zone podcast in which four college students take you through the classic television program, The Twilight Zone, one episode at a time. As always, I'm your host, Ben, and I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, Corey, Connor, Ashley. Today we are tabless. Uh-huh. It's the second uh-huh. time I made that joke. <laughs> we are tabless. Tabitha had to write a paper and study for a exam or catch up on work. Before we jump in, how are your Thanksgivings? How are your holiday breaks? Because we recorded, we were we recorded the lost recording right before we left for holiday. So how did your Thanksgivings all go? I was good stuff. Man. Food. Yeah, it was uh, good stuff. Yeah, food. Thanks. I was surrounded by cats and dogs, and you're right. You had Thanksgiving with me this I year. I did, and four of those cats became the loves of my life. Oh. They surrounded me. The one looks like who? Adam Driver. Adam Driver from Star Wars. His face is like Kylo Ren. For me, good stuff. Food. Thanks. There we go. I had to really <laughs> yeah. push that joke. Yeah. If we were a riff, we would be the riff, aka the lick. <laughs> Twilight Zone happened to you guys. I live with Ben Vlam. Oh, glad oh. he came back. That joke shouldn't. What happens if we do the podcast at a point where we don't live together? I'm friends with Ben Vlam. That's gonna. I live. <laughs> I'm sitting I next to with Ben Vlam. I lived uh, <laughs> in a scorpion. It haunts me every day. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's see, Connor. I live in the room next to Ben Vlam. All right, there's the joke. I, I am Ben Vlam, and that's scary enough. No, but um, I don't know. I, I didn't watch any horror movies lately. I went to go see Thor. That's not really scary, but that's a great film. Really enjoyed that. What about you, Ash? Well, I am dating Ben Vlam. Oh, there it is. <laughs> but um, serious note, um, probably the spookiest thing would be... Can I tell the auto story? You can most certainly tell the auto story. Okay, so there's this little dog. His name is Otto. I love him to pieces. He's, he ain't nothing little about him. He's getting little, but he's, 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 just, he's called Otto because he's fat like an ottoman. But anyway, at his, uh, Ben's grandma's house, there was a dying raccoon. And, you Oof. know, a cute, loving Otto, who I thought could not hurt a fly... <laughs> Killed the raccoon. Finished the job. <laughs> the raccoon got too close. Otto Finish did his him. work. 
They moved Otto away, and for some reason, my grandma thought it would be a good idea to let Otto back out again. <laughs> for round two. So, oh, my God. Grandma, that, oh, I'm God. awarding you the oof moment of the week. Bad, bad judgment on your part on this one. We're doing a Passage for Trumpet. This is a season one episode, which means you can see it through Netflix, Hulu, illicit services that we do not know about or condone, or you can buy the box set like me. This episode is a fan favorite, a classic, not a heavy hitter, but uh, one that I think is a lot of fun anyway. And yeah, check it out, because we're about to spoil the heck out of it. Rod, take us in. Joey Crown, musician with an odd, intense face, whose life is a quest for impossible things, like flowers and concrete, like trying to pluck a note of music out of the air and put it under glass to treasure. Joey Crown, musician with an odd, intense face, who in a moment will try to leave the earth and discover the middle ground, the place we call the Twilight Zone. Our episode opens up with our uh, protagonist, Joey Crown, standing outside a jazz club, listening into the beautiful trumpet. Not not sure if it was Connor or not, and they're playing the whole time. Probably Probably not. Probably. He is obviously yearning for the yesteryear where he could play himself, get his get his tunes on. To which after the performance, like they they go through the performance, and mind you, as this is going on, this is when Rod's giving his intro. Yeah. So it it works really well just because he's talking, and then the club manager, what I'm assuming he would be, comes out. Yeah. And so our protagonist runs up to him and is like, please let me play, just let me play again. And this is where we find out that our protagonist is an alcoholic. His name is Joey Crown. We find out Joey Crown is an alcoholic, and that's kind of why he's lost his gig with the music. Even though the manager's like, hey, you were great. And then Joey tries to convince him to let him play anyway, that he's been clean. But he's not. Which we, yeah, which we find out. A little bit later, he's he's really trying to get the manager to let him play, and the manager just keeps telling him, you're kind of washed up, you're not mm-hmm. who you once were, and you're an alcoholic. For old times when you had it, a magic horn, Harry James and Max Kaminsky and Butterfield, a little bit of all of them, baby, you traded it off for some bad hooch and you got took, you got the crummy end of the stick, why, Joey, why? Because I'm sad. Because I'm nothing. Because I'll live and die in a crummy one roomer with dirty walls and cracked pipes. I don't even have a girl. I don't want to be anybody. Because half of me is this horn. I can't even talk to people about it because this horn, that's half my language. I went up drunk, Barrett. When I'm drunk, boy, I don't see the dirty walls or the cracked pipes. I don't know the clock's going, that the hours are going by. Just then I'm Gabriel. Oh, I'm, I'm Gabriel with a golden horn. So after the manager uh, spurs him away, we see him try to play the trumpet one last time. With pretty disastrous results. It's Doesn't, not that bad. It's, well, I'm gonna. I'm, you probably heard it in the splice clip, you know, but it's it's pretty bad. I mean, you can't hit that one high note. You're the you're the in studio trumpet player. Yeah, I thought it sounded good, but like I don't know what's it. That could be worse. <laughs> Are you oh, talking wait. from like things you've seen, things I've seen, things I've done? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. An average not. trip down to the practice rooms. Yeah, but that he's playing for keeps. He's playing for his job. He didn't play for the manager. Well, I guess he's just playing for himself. He's playing yeah. for sadness. He's playing he with himself. He can't even play sad well. And then moving on from that, he goes and he goes and he starts drinking. Uh, here we see him get drunk at his favorite bar. And he realizes he's out of money, and the only thing he has left to sell is his lovely trumpet. And the only thing he's really living for at this point, it seems, is his love for music and trumpet. Me too. 
Is, it, is this just you guys? Yeah, is this, yes, is this, this like an alternate dimension where this, you were this, a, a, this episode is me. Where you were an alcoholic character actor? Well, that's not an alternate universe. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Connor in ten years. <laughs> oh, this is it. So after he sells his trumpet, he kind of realizes the gravity of his actions and decides to take his own life by jumping in front of a speeding truck. This this comes especially after he realizes that the guy he sold his trumpet to, the pawn shark, not a pawn shark, more like a just pawn shop owner, just a pawn shop owner, is has nearly tripled the price that he gave to Joey Crown, Mr. Crown, Crown. Joey Crown, Joey Crown. So he jumps in front of a speeding truck. Um, Takes a little bit of a bump. Yeah, he, he, he kind of jumps. Which woman gives the most like blood curdling scream? That that was the real oof moment. Yeah, nothing, nothing at all. No responsibilities. No. Corey is our in-house WWE mark and uh, WWE encyclopedia yak. Knowledgeable, PhD in WWE. What did you think of that bump? What would you rate that bump? That was a cane bump out of ten. He he took that on his hands. He slapped the truck and then fell down. (laughs) So I'm I'm assuming not your favorite. I mean, it was a really good bump, but it wasn't a death, you know? (laughs) That's not death. We in a better spot, perhaps. Maybe wouldn't have flew on the Indies. Oh, that would that would not have flown at a at a, at a CZW show. <laughs> he wakes up in a, a much more kind of like dark. It's like he, I think, assumes just that he got knocked out for a couple hours and now it's nighttime. Yeah, yeah. so he, it, it's darker out. It's seemingly nighttime, and he wakes up and he immediately runs over to the police officer because he thinks he's gonna get into trouble. After this, he. He's it's starting to he's starting to realize that nobody is seeing him or ignoring him. He runs over to a movie theater and starts uh, talking to the ticket girl. Yes, and this is the part where he realizes he can't see himself. Yes, in the mirror. he looks to the mirror and realizes he can't see himself either. So after that, he runs to the nearest bar where uh, he proceeds to eat a bunch of peanuts and drink and talk to himself and. Get pretty frustrated with it all. He, he steals a drink from from the bar, mind you. He he comes up to it, no one's responding. He goes, "Well, I guess this is mine," and like pulls a drink and just starts pouring himself shots. And like, kudos to you, man. The more we talk about this, the more this is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you just go to bars or just take? You don't hear me either, do you? Nobody hear me. Anybody see me? I used to come in here a lot. Plus, I don't recognize any of you people. None of you, of course, would have noticed me. I mean, uh, you don't hear me either, do you? I'm not the kind of guy who would notice. Well, Charlie, every now and then, he used to give me a drink on the house. Surprise for me. Puts it on the juke. Would you believe it? A nice thing like that from old Charlie. When I was alive. Joey makes his way back to the nightclub uh, after his uh, his bar fang. He thinks he's dead and he's a ghost. I think that's the consensus he's come to by this point, is that uh, he's a ghost. I don't know. He, he kind of... Because it's weird, because he kind of goes to the club, and he doesn't... 
he's he's once again right back where he started from yeah. the beginning, and he's just kind of watching. He hasn't really. He's, he, at this point, he's not trying to talk to anybody. And there's an interesting scene where a woman comes out and she's smoking, and she just like she has no purpose. He doesn't interact with her. She just sits out. She like smokes a little bit, and she. I think she ends up throwing the cigarette and just walking back in and then shuts the door. Right, yeah. Which, But there's no words. Like, it's just, like, a little I think it's. I think it's more of a theme thing that, like, the industry has shut the door on him. Yeah, like, it's it, like it's almost it has an end. But we, we can talk about that in yeah. the discussion later. Um, eventually, a he hears from a distance another trumpet player playing a very melodic, almost spiritual piece, holy piece. Angelic. Angelic, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And he's really into it, and he goes over and, you know, playfully tries to chat with this guy, not expecting a response. But lo and behold, he does get a response. This is the first guy in here who he can talk to. And once they start talking, Joey kind of asks him what's going on, and the guy explains that this is a sort of limbo. I guess you'd take it. This is a limbo. Everybody here is dead. They just don't realize it. And that's why they're living out their normal lives of doing stuff. But Joey's not fully dead. Like, it's a weird... He, I think he, he mentions that he's, he's just not dead. Yeah, he's but he like this is what it would be like to be dead, and if yeah. he really wants to, he can be dead. But he's giving him a chance to go back... And fix everything. And fix what happens, you know? And, like, kind of give life a second chance. And he... he I mean, the whole, the whole speech, he's reminding Joey the great parts about his life, like music and, you well, know, yeah, the reasons he has to live. They talk about all, like, his, his fun adventures he had when he was famous, and he kind of kind of goes on a tangent i would i was gonna connect it to our lost episode where uh what's his face kind of always goes on a tangent where he gets really excited about yeah really excited about his childhood he kind of does this with his past where he talks about like the clubs and the people and like the performance and yeah stuff like that i just want to point out uh the dude the other trumpet player totally looks like abraham lincoln yeah, yeah he, does. he does really look like Abraham Lincoln. So with this strange man's uh, strange man's uh, encouragement, Joey decides that he will give a second chance on life. Right before he goes back, he asks the strange man what his name is, and this is the big shocking twist. Hey, mister! What is it, Joey? I didn't get your name. What's that? Your name! I didn't get your name! My name... After you find out that uh, the guy he was uh, fraternizing with was the guardian angel Gabriel, Joey wakes up on the street after the collision and is shaken, but largely uninjured. The uh, the dr- the driver runs out of the truck and goes, "Hey, buddy, let's not get the insurance involved." Wink, <laughs> wink, which was a fantastic line, and then gives him just enough money to buy his trumpet back. Which he, he does that. And is playing later on the roof of his uh, one. I forgot how this ended. One room apartment, a one roomer. A young woman new to town comes up and asks him what he is playing, and uh, says maybe he can show her around town. And we end with that really positive, nice note. Yeah, they're they're essentially just standing on top of the the building, and he's like, "Oh, I can take you here. I can take you there. I can take." It's like he's so revitalized compared to what he was at the very beginning. Yeah, so... Real, real talk, though, I've always wanted to go on top of, like, a building like that and just play trumpet. And yeah. Whoever's listening. It That'd be great. I support it, It would be like a, a Beatles thing. You know, they played the top of the... What was it? Like, Apple Apple Records Something as their last like show. You could just play on top of the Winter Center. How would he get up there? Uh, there's there's got to be a way. There's, well, there's, there's like definitely a, a way. The library, out. it's, like, flat. So, like, he could easily get up there and be stable. The Wonder Center is pretty flat, too. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was, like... I mean, we never see it because it's on the other side of campus. Yeah. And then I can jump. Oh, no! (laughs) On that note, Rod, take us out. I could show you 52nd Street. We could go in and listen to some good jazz. And and, uh, Joey Cron, who makes music. And who discovered something about life... That it can be rich and rewarding and full of beauty, just like the music he played. If a person would only pause to look and listen, Joey Crown, who got his clue in the Twilight Zone.
All right, everyone. How did we enjoy this episode? This was a this was a bit of a change for us. I think this is the first kind of feel good, actually happy episode we've covered. That's not you know really dark or doesn't have a good a happy ending. This is just a very light episode throughout, even though it has some darker themes. I think this is the most holidaysy, lighthearted, family-driven it, episode of the Twilight Zone yet. Perfect Thanksgiving episode. Really? I mean, we're a little after Thanksgiving. But uh, this is a good, like, kind of holiday season episode. It's it's very light. It's very airy. And everybody's happy at the end. Yeah, it's got a very happy ending. I really enjoyed <laughs> the plot. I think it moved very well for a 30-minute episode. Yeah. Most 30-minute episodes move very well, but I don't think there was a singular boring moment. And everything, everything they did make made sense. It wasn't yeah. there wasn't any filler in this one. I guess it's different having just watched an hour episode, but uh, there was like I I didn't really see anything that was filler. I kind of wish there was a little more character development for our boy uh, Joey. Joey I honestly wish this would be like. If any episode of the Twilight Zone should have been an hour, I think this might have been the one. Because you could have had him wandering around for a while. You could have had background on him so like that you, you feel more empathy for him. I, I feel like, especially the walking around part, they would have just dragged yeah. it out until it was terrible. In theory, I think on paper this would have been very successful, but in practice I don't know how, how well it would have lived up. But for what they could, what the time slot they had, which is about a runtime of 23 minutes... Including a commer- two commercial breaks, I think that I think that this was really, really successful in what it went out to do. The acting, I felt the acting was really strong throughout. Most of it was. Jack, I mean, Jack Klugman is a famous character actor, well respected through Hollywood. He's passed now, but was extremely respected throughout his life. Um, I don't think there was a bad actor in it. I re- the, the the only thing about the acting is from a personal perspective and most people aren't going to care about this because they're not trumpet players but oh yeah a lot of the every time somebody played they if you're someone who's an instrumentalist you would you know that uh you know that they're kind of just pressing down random buttons but like for the majority of the population who's who's never picked up a trumpet or a uh, or <laughs> another instrument in their life then it's not going to matter for them but like that just that just irked me a little bit personally, but then again, that's a personal thing. Good. I mean, suspension of disbelief, I guess, but if there was any egregious uh, crimes this episode committed in the oopsies department, uh, I think it was probably the butchering of trumpet playing. Any episode centered around trumpet, right. trumpeting, I guess would be the verbiation yeah. of that. I mean, I don't. you can't expect them to go out and get a trumpet player right. to do that, but like... Well, I think it's interesting that Klugman didn't like practice at all because he was he was a known character actor, right? Which is a lot of you know learning about the lifestyle and kind of going going into the hobbies of a character. I think it's but, interesting that he didn't pursue that. Would he have done that a lot for like a thirty minute episode on on an anthology TV show? I'm I'm honestly not sure. I mean, I I do know from the few sources I have that Klugman mentioned many times that he didn't practice at all and just went to the episode completely blind in terms of uh, in terms of the actual playing which I think is interesting so I don't know I think that I think that there are definitely some like very sparse individual issues yeah like the the train the truck bump and the the playing but I think overall and you know Gabe's line delivery here and there. I just think overall the the tone of the episode in accordance with the acting made up for these. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just it's just a little things. I'm not gonna like bash the Twilight Zone for right. for I mean, not for not doing one episode in a thirty six episode season like down to every minute detail. I know there's gonna be other episodes where there's things that I won't notice but somebody else in another in- industry would notice. It's just kind of something that I noticed. I mean, that's the thing that, like, in every... Like, in a show, if someone's playing a guitar, like, they don't... Like, if they move their fingers at all, it's just, like, up and down or something. Like, yeah. it's never, like... Right. How it's actually done. Rod usually strives for accuracy, 
But I mean, there's only so much you can do yeah. with the writing because you can write plays the trumpet, and then whether the actor does or not. Yeah. And on the time shoot, you know, they couldn't, they, they didn't have the time. And you're not going to get industry professionals for every single occupation that right. somebody has. On the topic of trumpets, it's time for my favorite segment of the show, the Corey Arnold Wrestling Corner. Corey, please tell us what your wrestling connection for a passage for trumpet is. So anyone that watches wrestling today on a regular basis will know of the group The New Day. <clears throat> and uh, their main man, Xavier Woods, plays the trombone. And he was also down on his luck a bit, because he didn't really have a good gimmick before The New Day. That is true. And now he's with The New Day, he's playing his trombone, he's having a good time. So I think that's one of the more solid connections I've had so yeah. far. Yeah. And a sex tape with Paige came out. So we and got the girl, too. <laughs> so we got the girl. girl. It's a new day. Yes, it is. Technically, I think this episode was really solid. I thought the music was really great, even if it wasn't synced up. Yeah, I mean... I think they did a really good job in conveying the plot through the music because at the beginning, at the beginning of it, when when you first hear Joey play, like even before he he screws up, the the playing definitely has a different kind of attitude. It's like sort of sort of sad, bluesy almost. And then uh, the first time that you hear Gabe play the trumpet, it, like we mentioned earlier, it's, it sounds angelic. It sounds royal. It sounds like. Like it would be like you would imagine Gabriel's would play his horn, right? And then at the end of the episode, when uh, Joey's playing on top of the building, it's it's more that it's upbeat. It's, it's, yeah, it's and very... it's it's. I wrote I wrote in my notes that it sounds like that it sounds like Gabriel's playing almost, and I think that was a great way to uh, convey the plot and use the trumpet music as a plot device more than just as something that comes along with having a trumpet player. I think in recent years there's been a lot more uh, film and TV that have used uh, musical like musical cues to really drive the narrative. But I think for the early early '60s, this episode would have been 1960. Um, I think like this was pretty innovative in just kind of structuring this episode around how he played the trumpet. Because at the start it's very solemn, it's very down, and by the end he's got a whole new style of playing. All the music, all the trumpet music was uh, was written for this episode as well. They didn't take it from anything. They wrote it specifically for this episode. Moving on with that, if we're talking about the emotions of it, if you think about the one piece he plays before he jumps in front of the truck, it's very rash and sudden and kind of, um, not spasmodic, spasmodic, but like... Blunt? He, not blunt. In your face? It's like, it's just kind of all, it's all over the place. Yeah. And which kind of explains almost Sporadic. His, yeah, sporadic. That's the word I'm looking for. And it's like, I don't know, it kind of conveys his emotion of how he's, like, every time a trumpet is played, there is a specific emotion that is being portrayed in it, I think, with this, this episode. Just for the overall mood of the episode, I felt it, it felt kind of really film noir from Rod's intro all the way right. through, which was... Like a lot of it, a lot of it took place in like the back alley or whatever. It just it felt really film noir, even though it wasn't the classic film noir type plot. It just that was the attitude that it gave off, and I really enjoyed that. I thought it was weird how much he referenced Joey's face. Well, Clubman yeah. had an interesting mug. Yeah, it was just weird to me though because like I didn't think his face was that strange. What did and you I say? Like serious face with an odd tense face. face. Like, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get like that. I, I didn't. That one. That was one of the things that I was kind of like, huh? Because I thought it was gonna like yeah. mean something. Like I thought he was gonna maybe have a deformity or something. Right. But it was like, no, it's just a normal guy <laughs> with a sad face. Sad boy. Sad boy. Sad Goth boy. boy. Click. Rest in peace, little peep. Moving on to bios and trivia. Bios and trivia. Where are you, Corey? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. All right, moving on to bios and trivia. Bios and trivia. Awesome, oh, nice. This episode was written by Rod Serling. If you don't know anything about him, uh, tough luck. Go Google it. <laughs> this was directed by Don Midnight Medford. Would you guys like to know how he got the nickname Midnight? Please. So, thanks, no. nice okay. content. <laughs> Moving on. Yep. Um, he would, all of his night scenes, he would direct in the day. 
He just made it look like it was night. That's why he was Midnight Medford. How do you do that? This is from Hollywood Reporter. It just disappeared. Are you serious? Is that going to be an ad? I don't know. This is from the Hollywood Reporter. One of Medford's trademarks in the early days was shooting a scene during the day and then underdeveloping the film in post-production to make it appear if it was shot in darkness. Oh, that's It's really called cool. Day for Night Shooting. So that's why he garnered the nickname Dawn Midnight Medford. That's actually really cool. That's yeah. really cool. That was something that no one really did back then, and he was the pioneer of that. This is the first of five Twilight Zone episodes we will see from him. Most would argue this is his best, although Return to Daft. Dachhaus. Dachhaus. Someone argue this is his best episode. That's up in debate, though. Uh, there's there's a lot more really great ones coming for him. Return to Dachhaus is kind of phenomenal. Jack Klugman as Joey Crown. This is his first of four episodes in the Twilight Zone. An interesting note about every one of his characters ends up dying in some facet. Oh, boy. So every Spoilers. time we'll see him. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> he was born in Philadelphia, where I'm from. Very cool stuff. He played Quincy, medical expert, the, in that TV show. He was Quincy. It lasted for uh, about, I guess, five years in the late 60s, early 70s. He was in 12 Angry Men, and he was one of the main characters in The Odd Couple, the was original Odd Couple. Was he one of the Angry Men? He was Juror number five. Was he one of the Angry Men? They're all angry. That's why it's 12 Angry Men. So there's 12, and he was one of the 12. Yep. Yes. And the other character or actor of note is John Anderson as Gabriel. He has four episodes in the Twilight Zone. Um, he was in Psycho, and he was in Ride the High Country. What did he play in Psycho? Uh, some cow. I think his name's like California something. He might have been the car dealer that she talks to. Oh, maybe. I'm not 100 percent on that. I haven't movie. seen that movie in a while. From I am the International Movie Database, IMDb. I didn't get much trivia from that, but the goofs were there's a boom mic, uh, the poor playing, and uh, he does, he pops something in the trumpet, and apparently you're not supposed to do that. Oh yeah, no. I let that go because everybody does that. And the other thing that I noticed was he approaches a mirror in limbo that isn't like, you know, just a hole in the wall, and his reflection is clearly shown. <laughs> so they messed that continuity error up a little. Well, it was like a, it was like a window. It was like a glass yeah, it was a little weird still. Yeah. From the Twilight Zone Companion Volume 2 by Mark Scott Zickery. This episode was going to be an hour, but Rod had to cut it down. Apparently they filmed about an hour's worth of material just because Jack Klugman insisted on adding all the character development and they had to cut it to shreds. The I episode... want to see that uncut episode just <laughs> Me to see too, it. honestly. If I can find it, but I don't I think it it's probably doesn't exist. history. To use the effects where they had the two scenes going in at once, where he wasn't in the mirror, the kind of hole in the wall. They used a real hole in the wall, obviously, and then they used two pairs of identical twins to play. Oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. play both the ticket takers and play the both of the young men who went up uh, and got tickets. That's really cool. Yeah, that's actually really dope. Yep. So interesting, uh, very innovative. I guess not innovative, but they used what they could. Clever. From Martin Graham's Jr.'s Unlocking a Door to a Television Classic, this character had been around on paper f- since 1949. Rod used him in a radio play, and he sent he sent a plot kind of like this, but not exactly, to a television anthology show in the 50s. They uh, refused it, said, you know, try again next time, and Rod kept on to it. Someone told actor John Anderson this one can award the uh, the Cannes Film Festival and won some awards there. Spoilers, it didn't. Uh, but he kept saying that until the day he died. <laughs> maybe out of just him being senile towards the end, or maybe of him just being too proud to admit he was wrong. Klugman got paid around two thousand five hundred dollars for his role. I don't know what inflation would say that's, about that's that. That's a lot. That's really good. But that's a quite a quite a few shillings for him. That's really good. Quite a few schmeckles. TV critics at the time didn't love this episode, but as I mentioned before, it is a fan favorite as of now, and a, uh, I guess what we consider, I think, a bit above a cult classic. I think people really respect it and like it. But it's certainly not up there when you look top ten Twilight Zone episodes, so it's it rides the line. I think it's a bit above a cult classic. I wouldn't consider it a cult classic, because it doesn't have that like vibe to it. I would just say like a really good episode. But it is like a fan favorite, though. People right. really love it. Yeah, when I think of a cult classic, though, I think of like a not popular, originally not popular. Well, I yeah. guess it is like a cult and it's, classic. And it's not like conventionally like the best thing. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Well, Donnie enough. Darko's a good film, but it's technically a cult classic. Yeah, but it's weird. Like cult but classics not are all usually cult classics weird. need to be weird. I guess. I, I we could have a long debate about this. I think the terminology of cult classic is outdated, but. I just when I when someone says cult classic, I just think of like Don, Danny Darko and like yeah. weird movies like that. Um. Well, you know the the castle. Would you consider castle a cult classic? Yeah, it's weird. But, yeah, I guess it is weird. Yeah. All right. When you say cult classic, I just think of Rocky Horror. Yeah. Yeah, Rocky Horror is weird. Well, this this originally was not the most popular, but now it is a beloved fan favorite, especially for fans of you know who watched it either in the show's original run or people who grew up watching the reboots. For new time fans, this is probably one that they don't get recommended often. With episodes like To Serve Man and uh, Eye of the Beholder really taking the spotlight as the quintessential Twilight Zone episodes. Just a few little cute things Rod did. Uh, the character of Nan was named after Serling's daughter, Anne, who was uh, apparently really nice. Aww. My mom did not meet Anne, but she did meet Carol Serling and drove her from the airport to her college. That's really so cool. So they got to hang out a little bit. Uh, shout out to Rebecca. Happy, happy late birthday. We mentioned your birthday in the last podcast, but that died, so happy birthday. <laughs> The uh, police officer, this is the one I wanted to mention before, the police officer mentioned when he's talking about um, how he wasn't drunk, it's from another episode of The Twilight Zone called Night of the Meek. Therefore, The Twilight Zone is connected. That's nothing. What's the show that always says that? It's like American, American Horror, Horror Story. Story. It's like American Horror Story. It's all secretly connected. All right, well, that's it for me on trivia. What ripped this off, or what uh, did this rip off? so many things, but go I'm going to go into two. So, just to be a meme, it ripped off the Bible <laughs> because they use they use Gabriel, who in the Bible is the trumpeter. His whole thing is when the world ends, he, you'll hear his trumpet. Lo and behold, he's where our friend Joey is right before he dies, and he's blowing his trumpet, ripping the Bible off. I think this is a fairly original episode, uh, and I think that not a lot of things have been able to steal this. Um, I'm, nothing is coming to mind for me about... I mean, there are countless movies where someone, you know, goes to limbo or tries to commit suicide, but I can't, imagine, I can't think of any movies that uses, like, a musical aspect in the same way, especially with a jazzy undertone. I wrote a, a, fiction, a short uh, fiction story that's almost identical to this. Wow, you could have been sued by And uh, I had not been a part of the Twilight Zone. I did get a grade for it, so. What'd you get on it? You could have been Twilight Zone writer back in the day. It was the same plot, though. It was just a kid stuck in high school. Maybe, maybe, like, you'll invent a time machine, go back and tell Rod all these. Or I am Rod Sterling. <sighs> Oh man, I'm dating Ron Sterling. <laughs> this is a really good feeling. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not thinking of much. What about you guys? Are you guys? Do you guys? Have I can guys never seen? think of anything, honestly. What is the movie with Ebenezer Scrooge? A Christmas, Christmas Carol. I mean, I I, I get that vibes, yeah. you know. Almost. Yeah, I can. I but see like, that. It's a completely Charles different Dickens. Plot. I'm sure Rod Sterling was well versed in classical literature. Oh, I have a fun fact about yeah, Charles Dickens. Scrooge, Scrooge was yeah. never dead. He just got visited by ghosts. Yeah. But this ghost wasn't malicious. Well, those ghosts weren't malicious either. They were trying to yeah. convince him, like, hey, don't be a jerk. Yeah. I just, I, there aren't too many movies where someone's in limbo, I don't think, that I recall. Inception. Inception's not in limbo, they're just in a dream. No, no but they th reach limbo. They, they really? They, yeah. they specifically mentioned the concept oh, of limbo. Oh, that's right. Which I mean is... Not have really. that. Well, would you consider like the way Leonardo DiCaprio has his like spinner? Would that be Jack Klugman's trumpet, the thing that no lets him know whether he's in the real world? No, or I, I think we're reading too much into that. You just said limbo, and I thought of Inception. I think. I think. Have you have you seen Inception? Yeah, of course I've seen. Okay, Inception. so I think if you could pull any parallels with that, instead of that being his trumpet, because it's not his token, that's his wife's token. His wife would be as much, much like Gabriel, except for the fact that she doesn't want him to leave Limbo. Yeah. But that's because she's a projection of herself, of his, of his mind. Dunkirk! 
because... I haven't seen that yet. No. It's amazing. Uh, no. You're not in limbo. No, no, no. Unless you count being in France, like being in limbo. I mean, for some of them it probably felt like it. But anyway, the music, the, the intent of the music. Okay, so like we were discussing earlier about how the music kind of plays with your emotions and how you're feeling. And with Dunkirk... Um, I'm sorry, you boys have not seen it yet. Well, you guys are missing out. I, I almost watched it this week. If you want to watch it, I will watch it with you a billion times. Well, we might, movie. If we're doing the Oscar thing, where we'll do an Oscar podcast too, possibly, but if we're doing, if we're watching all the Oscar movies, we're going to have to watch that again anyway. So Anyway, so the music in Dunkirk is, there's this constant like ticking that goes with it, and it gives you this sense of like anxiety and, and like dread. dread and like on edge, like you... It doesn't stop, like, even in the moments where you they're, like, sleeping, like, you can still hear it, and it doesn't stop until the very end when they're technically safe. Well, that's what war is like. Yeah, but it's it, always, it you, it's it, always being on edge and on Yeah, here. and it's giving you that emotion that you feel yeah. that this, this episode also did with... If we're going to talk about music and conveying emotions, we could be here for hours, because yeah, anything... Yeah, I think it's a... Yeah. Anything that I, Alfred Hitchcock did right, was yeah. via the music. Psycho is not a scary movie without the... Without the strength. constant, well, music, that constant music is an important part of any film. Yeah, even silent film. I mean, silent films rely solely on music. I, you know, in a lot of cases, music really drives the film. But I don't think a movie would ever be the same without. Right. I think it would just be weird. Well, or like when we, you're playing when you're playing a video game and then the intense no music. music stops. It's like. Okay, yeah. it's safe now. It's it's <laughs> literally though. Music, all of the games. I mean, music yeah. holds you know. It's kind of like a universal context clue for our brain because we can speak thousands of languages, but everybody I think can understand music and just the context clues that brings. Let's move on to ratings. I am the International Movie Database gives this a seven point four, so that's right around the halfway point, but on the lower spectrum, which I think is very strange. Which is very wrong. Uh, I guess I I'll go first here. I give this is the first time I'm awarding an episode a ten. I absolutely love this episode. I think it is one that I can watch over and over. Um, I like the way the music sounds. I like the way it moves. I like the way it flows. I think it's really interesting. I think it's a very emotionally emotionally gratifying yet demanding. Yeah, I think for a piece, a 30-minute sci-fi drama in 1960, this was something amazing that I... Uh, that I will always go back to is a fantastic episode of not only the Twilight Zone but television. So that's a 10 out of 10 for me. Let's start with Ash tonight. Oh boy. Um, I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10 just because there are a couple episodes that I know I'm giving a 10 out of 10 and this one did not give me the same feelings. Um, only because I felt that Joey's character could have been developed more. It would have meant more to me. I don't know. Connor? I was originally going to give this a 9.5 and get really nitpicky with it, but like after we talked about, after we had the discussion about the logistics that would have need, been needed to make everything like quote unquote exactly right, it's, there's no way they could they could have done this any better. Right. So I'm going to give it a 10. Ooh. And uh, Corey, I'm going to give it a nine and a half, just because I think tens are very hard to, if not impossible, to come by. That's just how I rate things. Um, the plot was, I mean, it was, it was simple and easy to follow. The only thing I didn't like is how, just at the end, randomly, he just meets this girl for like a minute. It just seemed like they just forced it in there. I don't know. But so I'm going to give it a nine and a half. Uh, I know what Tabitha rated it, but... Uh, after we we get off, um, she's going to pop on. So universally really enjoyed this episode from everyone. I mean, when your lowest rating is like a 9 out of our group, that's that's pretty crazy, especially for how diverse we've been with ratings in the past. Um, the preview of next week. Next week we are heading over to Season 5 for a episode called I Am the Night, Color Me Black. This is a 30-minute episode. We don't, we don't have another hour-long episode till episode 12. Bless so we got, we got quite a bit of time. Or, you know, we could just do Horace Ford again next no. week. Yes. Let's do it. I'm going to jump out this window if we do that episode so, again. So, last week's winner um, was Tabs? Yes, it was Tabs. Because remember, woo! <laughs> yes. 
However, the technical winner since from episode five was Ashley. Yeah. So I think we're gonna keep your reign going because A isn't here and B, uh, you technically have the last win if we're uh, just gonna postpone episode six. Or not episode six, we're just gonna postpone Horace Ford. So here's the preview of next week. Has anyone seen this episode except for me? I have not. Okay, this is more of an obscure one. Sheriff Charlie Koch on the morning of an execution. As a matter of fact, it's 7.30 in the morning. Logic and natural law dictates that at this hour there should be daylight. I have seen this episode. You have? Yes, I have. It is a simple rule of science, a simple rule of physical science that the sun should arise at a certain moment and supersede the darkness. But at this given moment, Sheriff Charlie Koch, a deputy named a deputy named Pierce, a condemned man, a condemned man named Jagger, and a small inconsequential village will shortly find out that there are causes and effects that have no precedent, such is usually the case in the Twilight Zone. So Ashley, you've seen this episode mm-hmm. and you know the twist? Mm-hmm. Right, well you are out of the running. I hmm. I really think that the the condemned man has is the reason that it's not that the sun isn't coming up. I don't know. Alright. You wanna go a little deeper into that or are you just I, I don't know I don't know where I would go with that without It's not much of a twist. Try it's more like a plot point. Let's get a twist going. But he He's innocent and that's why the sun's not coming up. Corey? Uh, so darkness and cops. I'm gonna go with the uh, big boss man. Uh, darkness. He's in the middle of a heel turn, and the condemned man is the Mountie, the evil Canadian policeman. So my prediction is that we're watching <laughs> SummerSlam '92. When did they wrestle? They wrestled on pay per view. I think it was like SummerSlam '92. Is something it? like that. Connor, you are the winner of this week. You uh, default. You guessed the twist. Uh, pretty much correctly. There's still there's still some room for you to move, and like you're not you didn't give it all away. But see what, uh, see what Tabs has to say. You know, as always, we finish our show with a question of the week. This week's question is: What is your favorite jazz piece slash jazz musician? Uh, please go to me last. I'm looking on my Spotify right now. Uh, Can we have a minute to think? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because I like. Dude, I don't know anything about jazz. Like, not a thing. I'm gonna go first. Just say it's the Breezango song. That's jazz. <laughs> Can we do like a decade instead? <laughs> okay. Give me a minute. My favorite jazz artist is Philly native Sun Ra. He started the Sun Ra Collective. It's still a touring group today. He has passed, but in the 1970s, I believe, he uh, came out full force uh, swinging with avant garde jazz. What about you, Connor? Uh, I'm going to sound like a really basic trumpet player here, but Miles Davis is my favorite jazz musician. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of Blue is a fantastic Yeah, the, my the best, my favorite recording off that album is uh, So What. I it's actually, I know the solo from that. Uh, like, I wrote it wow. down and I can play it now. So, Miles Davis, but like, you can't go wrong with any of the classic trumpet players. Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, Dizzy Gillespie, I'm just going to list off trumpet players. There ain't nothing wrong like that. Dizzy Gillespie, Maynard Ferguson, Chet Baker. Chet Baker's fantastic. Uh, Wynton Marsalis. Really good. Really, like, probably the best trumpet player I've ever heard. I am deeply in love with classical jazz from, like, the 20s to about the 60s. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of newer jazz. Um, we talked about this, actually, on our radio station a, co- a couple of years back or so. But um, for this one, oh, there's so many people I want to pick, but I'll just go with... Bobby Darren, he sings Clementine, Beyond the Sea. Uh, Isn't he more of a crooner, though? Okay. He's jazz. That would count. I think that would count. But he's, he sounds like Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra is, also is jazz. jazz. Is he really jazz? Yes. yes. Yeah, that, that is complete jazz. Right <laughs> that now. is, yes, that is I, like... I am wrong. Complete, you are actually wrong, Ben. All right, well, I'm usually wrong. Oh, stop. Um, Bobby Darren, I really like him. Beyond the Sea, a lot of games I play actually are kind of the reason I like jazz music. Um, the Bioshock series and Fallout. the Fallout series, all of those artists are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, check them out. Just Spotify it. Be like Fallout soundtrack and your or Fallout radio, and you will find them all. And they're honestly beautiful jazz pieces. 
And finally, Corey. Favorite jazz uh, musician is Smashing Pumpkins. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to jazz. Dance Gavin Dance is technically jazz. They have jazz roots. Dance, dance Gavin Dance. There you go. Thanks so much for joining us again. We'll see you next time on The Rod Squad.